Hey everyone, it's Ben. Wherever you're listening in the world, and however the pandemic is affecting you, please be safe. Take care of yourself and take care of those around you. Only together can we get through this. Thanks to Dipsy for supporting The Secret Room. Dipsy is an audio app full of short audio stories designed to turn you on. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com secret. And thanks to Feels. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com secret, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. What's your secret? When I was an ultrasound tech at the hospital, we did a lot of different types of exams. People think ultrasound is just looking at babies, but it's not. We do a lot of different types of exams and you actually really have to concentrate hard to get all of your images and readings. A lot of patients could be really annoying because all they would want to do is talk. (laughs) I had a little trick that I came up with. If someone wouldn't stop talking, I would say, okay, I need you to take a deep breath and hold it. Okay, you can breathe. And then if they continue to talk after that, I would say, okay, stop breathing. Okay, now you can breathe. And after I had said that a couple times and startled them, <laughs> kind of have a few moments of peace to get my work done because they were waiting for me to tell them to stop breathing again. Thank you. Today, a story of life on the street. My name is M, and my secret is that I had a really extreme experience as a kid. You would never know it by looking at me, but if people knew, they would look at me very differently. I don't talk about it with anyone, not even my own family. What year was this? 82. It's a secret M doesn't let on to anyone. How many people know your secret today? Nobody really knows the whole story. Because it was a tumultuous period in her life. My memory is a little bit shot about certain things that happened during that time frame. But the details she does remember, that she will share with you in the next hour, will stay with you. We moved into a really rough neighborhood, a gang neighborhood. Because what she saw, what she experienced at 13 years old, It was really rough. It was the real deal, and it was really rough. Would be enough to toughen even the hardest criminals? The sink was full of blood from somebody who had been stabbed. So hang on for a story of perseverance. Wild kids kind of have a way of finding each other. And survival on the streets. I was scared. Tired, scared, cold. Yes. Welcome to The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. I'll comfy in front of that mic. Yes. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Hi, Maria. <laughs> okay. Hi, Maria. Welcome to The Secret Room. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. I think your story is one about misspent youth, right? A little bit? Oh, yeah. I was lost. Yeah. We're talking about really misspent youth <laughs> for a little while anyway. Yep. Like you can't even believe how you misspent it. <laughs> It sounds like maybe you weren't really getting good parenting at home. 
Would that be a safe assumption? Yes, yes. Um, I think a little bit of a parental lack of involvement, for sure. Can you tell me what was going on at home? What was life like there? Well, like a lot of kids, I was really destabilized by my parents getting a divorce. It didn't make me sad at the time. I kind of thought my dad was a bit of a jerk. But nonetheless, it destabilized me. And my mom and my disabled younger sister and I moved, oh goodness, I think five times in a six-month period. So that was more destabilization. And we moved into a really, really rough neighborhood. And that's how all of this started. I see. How was your relationship with your parents? Oh, I think my parents were kind of done parenting by the time I had came along. I was six out of seven children. And my sibling, who is closest to me in age, was profoundly disabled and no fault of her own. But there just wasn't a whole lot of spoons left for my parents to give to me. So there wasn't any abuse or anything like that. It was just more about neglect. Exactly. Did you have to, like, fend for yourself in the kitchen and with school and that sort of thing? Was it, like, that bad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, there was a... A lot of responsibility placed on me to take care of my disabled sister. Um, you know, imagine a single mom trying to do a waitressing job and all those weird hours. Um, I got left at home with her all the time. Hmm. And how old were you at the time? At 12, 13. Yeah, that's a lot of responsibility for such a kid so, so young. Yeah, and... I'm sure there's other people who have handled that responsibility better, but I was a little on the wild side, so. <laughs> Why do you say that? How were you, how were you wild at 12? <laughs> <laughs> I had mentioned we moved into a really rough neighborhood, and I had moved from Oregon to California, and we moved into a gang neighborhood, and I joined a gang at 12. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? <laughs> wow. This is Anaheim, California, right? Right, in Anaheim, California. Wow, so the neighborhood you lived in was pretty rough, and there were gangs all over the place. Why did you join a gang? Well, you know, I'm really poor. I don't have anything going for me. I don't have any friends. I've moved almost 10 times in six months, and I'm lonely, and I'm getting harassed by the gang members, and I got into a physical fight with one of the girls, um, outside of my house, and it was kind of like become one of them or get your ass kicked every day. Gosh. Was there an initiation to join the gang? I think the fight that I had outside of my house that one day was probably an initiation of sorts, yes. Wow. Were you injured? Not really. Oh. We're, you know, a couple of 110 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> 13 year old girls you right know? <laughs> golly did your mom know you were in a gang no no nobody was paying attention to me right what was the name of the gang it was so long ago i i think it was potentially the anaheim travelers but you know this is many 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 years ago so and I did, a, I did a lot of drugs when I was in this gang, so my memory is a little bit shot about certain things that happened during that time frame. It might have been Westside Anaheim or Anaheim Travelers, something of that, of that nature. Were there older kids in the gang, too? Oh, yeah. I was definitely one of the youngest. 
What kinds of things, aside from doing drugs, did you guys do as a gang? I was exposed to a lot of violence. There were a lot of fights. There were drive-by shootings. I remember friends of mine getting stabbed. Uh, There were really hardcore drugs. There was heroin. There was PCP. Uh, It was really rough. It was the real deal, and it was really rough. Sounds awful. And this is not even the real secret that we're getting to. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Amazing. But it's, it's what led up to it was kind of that that scenario i see that but i'm just so curious about this part of your life do you remember what precipitated any of these stabbings or extreme violent situations that you were exposed to for example was it like altercations with other gangs over turf or something like that yeah it was gang on gang violence definitely yeah was it for territory or was it you know over something else It's kind of like a rule. You have to hate each other. Who really knows what it was really about? Gosh. And do you recall any specific instances that you were involved in that had to do with drive-by shootings? Uh, The way that I was exposed to a lot of the violence was secondhand. Thank goodness for that. Right? And the older kids were more exposed to the real violence. For instance, there is a a guy who had an El Camino, we, it was the kind with the flatbed back. And we all used to just pile in the back of that El Camino. And one time he drove up and there's bullet holes all over that El Camino from a drive-by he had been involved in where a rival gang had shot up the back of that, uh, his car. Things like that. Like there was this abandoned apartment that we hung out at. And one time I went in and, you know, all the electricity is off in it. And I went in there and it was covered in blood. The sink was full of blood from somebody who had been stabbed um, in some kind of altercation. So I was physically safe most of the time, but that was kind of things I was exposed to. Can't imagine. And I'm just picturing you piling in the back of an El Camino. And for those people who don't remember, that's, I mean, it's not a very cool car today, but back in the day, <laughs> it's kind of like a, a, a hybrid of a car and a pickup, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like a car, like a sedan that's got an open bed in the back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. I guess I guess in the day that was kind of cool. You might say it's like the mullet of automobiles. No. I'm so old. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't think I don't think they make those anymore. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And it's cer- it's certainly illegal for a bunch of kids to ride in the back now. <laughs> right. Dang. Well, you must think back on that time and just thank your lucky stars that you made it out alive. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, my therapist told me recently when I was talking about some of my experiences that um, that I must have a really strong spirit that just wants to live. No Because I had so many near misses in my life. Can you tell me about, about one of them? Oh, sure. Um when I was involved with this gang, we were all kind of just sitting around getting high. And one of the gang members said, hey, let's go to Hollywood. And, you know, that's 
it's a bit of a drive from Orange County, Anaheim, to Los Angeles, to Hollywood. And of course, I don't have anything better to do with my life. And I'm like, sure. So I get in a car with a man. He's probably 20. And here I am, 12 or 13, you know, real young and really naive. And not only does he not drive me to Hollywood, he drives me south. So we're on a freeway going towards San Diego, which is pretty far from Orange County as well. And uh, he starts hitting me in the car, pulling my hair, slapping me. And I'm terrified. I am absolutely terrified of what's going to happen. And he gets off the freeway. We drive for a couple of hours and he gets off the freeway and he keeps trying to park in residential neighborhoods and police cars keep driving by. And he's being violent with me and hitting me and he's not talking. He's just being violent. And I'm sure he had ideas of what he wanted to do to me, but I think he got scared off by the police. That's all I can figure. And he just stopped his physical assaults on me and just drove me back. Back to our little gangy neighborhood. What a close call. Yeah. Have a few stories like that. (laughs) Tell me another. (laughs) So the girl I ran away with, S, her and I had a knack for making really terrible choices. We would hitchhike and go to hotels with complete strangers. And I mean, every bad decision a kid can make. Um, Well, one of my uh, neighbors in my apartment complex had a friend. Looking back, it was probably some kind of payment for sex situation. But I'm 12 or 13. I don't I don't know that at the time. So she has this older friend who's rich who takes her shopping. And so my friend and I, we decide to kind of like befriend this guy too. And he drives us to this beautiful condo he has in another area of Southern California. I actually can't remember where it was, but he drives us there and it's this beautiful condo and this beautiful complex. And mind you, I'm living in a apartment that the first night that I lived there, I opened up my closet and cockroaches were swarming all over my clothes. So I was really poor, you know, it was the real deal kind of poor. So here we are in this beautiful condo and, you know, we're doing drugs with this guy and he's probably 45 or 50 and he leaves us alone in his apartment. And I don't remember why he left us alone, but we start looking through his belongings because we're those kind of kids. And we're kids, right? Who leaves a bunch of drugged out kids in their apartment? And we open up this like hutch that he has. And there's Polaroids of him doing sexual acts with hundreds of different women. Wow. Right? And we're young. And this is before you're thinking about consent or sex trafficking or anything like that. And we're just thinking, oh, what a pervert. Uh, He invites us to stay the night and we sleep in his bedroom, just me and my friend. And he left us alone to sleep in there after we had been partying all night. And of course, we snoop through his bedroom and find a loaded handgun under his bed. Wow. So. (laughs) Wow. We were like, okay, this is real. We're going to die. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
<laughs> he ended up, I think he took us shopping and bought us some clothes or something and then dropped us off back at home. Um, and that really is all that happened to us. But I can't believe I escaped that bizarre incident unharmed. Looking back, I'm sure that was not an okay person, you know? No, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> he had a lot of a lot of really close scrapes. Did did you ever end up having to trade sex for drugs or money or safety? No, no. Mm -mm. That's so fortunate. Yes, yes. I I was pretty unscathed by a a lot of these experiences. Yeah. Um, did you have much violence perpetrated against you physically, other than that first fight you got in? No. No. Wow. You're just like making all the right turns and just like <laughs> navigating through this dangerous world. So with, with such great fortune. I know. It's like I keep rolling 20s, you know? Yeah. So, Em, you have painted for us a picture of just such an, I want to say unruly or untamed childhood, um, of course, it's not your fault. You're embedded in this environment. You're not receiving parenting at home, but you are you're a survivor in a gang infested neighborhood, right? Yes. Really tough. And so so you make a decision, right? Yes. To try to extricate yourself from from all of this. Yes. What do you do? What What's your decision? So, Ben. Do you get the feeling Em's luck is about to run out? The shocking decision she makes at just 13 years old is next. A lot of us are feeling stress and anxiety these days, and for good reason. So I'd like to tell you about a solution. It's called Feels. F-E-A-L-S. Feels is a premium CBD, and it's delivered directly to your doorstep. I've used it, and i found it to be really effective, not just for stress reduction, but also to help reduce sleeplessness. Here's how it works. Just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue, and feel the difference within minutes. And the product is backed by great support, so you can get the dosage that is just right. The packaging and included FAQ are really helpful, and if you need more, Real Human support is available on their free CBD hotline and by text message to help guide your personal experience. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high hangover or addiction. Join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com secret, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash secret to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash secret. And now back to M and the decision she made to fix her young life and the consequences that she pays are ahead as she continues to unfold her story. I was so lonely and unhappy at home and I felt so unseen. I decided to run away and I'm a pretty stubborn person and 
I made that decision and I, and I stuck to it. Gosh. So you're 13 years old. You've made the decision to run away. What was your plan? Oh, does a 13 year old have a plan? Exactly. I just, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Right. There was no plan. It was thought out. Yes. Let's run away. Our home lives suck. We're lonely. We're unhappy. I think my friend who I ran away with had a worse home life. I think she had had a baby. She was either 15 or 16, and her parents actually kicked her out a couple times. So I think her situation, I had always felt like she was in more physical harm and, you know, emotional abuse. So she was a bit older than me, and I think she was. She kind of took care of me a little bit. I remember her making some decisions that I was just, I didn't know how to make. Uh, she would make them for us. But yeah, we just said, our life sucks. Let's leave. Was she in the gang with you? Yeah, she was. Were you afraid of any consequences for leaving the the gang? No. It was um, because I was an outsider and my family didn't live there and my you know my dad and my uncles weren't part of the gang there was there was this kind of loose hold on me it wasn't i was like i had a gang name actually what was it <laughs> i just remembered <laughs> i think it was la casper cuz i was white la casper the female friendly ghost yep right. <laughs> i was it was a Hispanic gang, and I was this little white girl, you know. There's a really interesting story about that. When I joined the gang, my name is an English version, of course. And when I joined the gang, I made it a, a Spanish version. And to this day, I go by the Spanish version of my name. So I basically changed my name because I was in that gang, and it stuck. Okay, well... Um, do you feel comfortable saying that or do you want to keep that off the podcast? Oh, I feel comfortable. Do you want me to say the two different names? Yeah. Tell me those names. Okay. Well, I was born Mary. When I joined the gang, all of my friends called me Maria and it stuck. And I've been known since Maria since I was 12 years old. I see. So you're not Hispanic. You don't have any family connections to that culture, but you're called Maria because that is rooted in your in your past association with the gang, which was largely Hispanic. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> and so, I, I don't tell anybody that. Like, there's like three people in the universe who know that that's why my name is Maria. That is crazy. So do people ever ask you like, you know, why, why are we calling you Maria when you're clearly this white girl (laughs) i'm actually half italian so it's not so crazy like people you know i i think i look pretty italian you know dark hair dark eyes i look really italian so getting back to that that night when you decide to make a break for it right yeah you must have packed up a few things right yeah yeah i took one of my mother's like collapsible luggages and um put some clothes, some necessities in it. And we lived in this neighborhood that had a lot of apartment complexes and a lot of like coin operated washers and dryers. And so none of them had like locks to the washer and dryer rooms. It was all like un- unlockable. So I 
filled that little collapsible suitcase full of some stuff and I hid it behind like a washer or a dryer in one of those laundry rooms. And it stayed there almost the whole time. It eventually got taken, but it was there for quite a while. Mm, So that's where you were storing your belongings. Exactly. All right. Do you remember the night that you ran away? Very clearly. Very, very clearly. Can you take me to that night? Yeah. So me and my friend, we take off on foot. Um, And to give you an idea of how kind of caught between childhood and thinking I was grown up, I, I brought a stuffed animal. Like, what kind of a gang member runs away and brings a stuffed animal? <laughs> What was it a teddy bear? I I think a boy had given it to me, so I think it had some sentimental value. Um yeah, it was like a little kind of a little teddy bear type thing. And okay. um here I am this tough runaway gangbanger with my little stuffed animal. <laughs> right. <laughs> my heart really goes out to you. I just I just can't imagine. Yeah. So what's the name of the the friend you ran away with s and so did you just leave the house one night and have a plan to meet her somewhere yeah yeah we planned it all out i stored my suitcase got my little stuffed animal and we headed down a major road in anaheim and we just walked and walked and walked for hours and hours and hours furthest any of us had ever traveled on foot i'm sure it got dark. It got cold. We got really scared. We got really homesick. Mm. I, in my body, I store that feeling of homesick. Like, I can access that anytime I think about that memory of sitting there in the dark outside of like some major store that had already closed and that pit of homesickness in my stomach and fear and regret and probably a little stubbornness too because I wasn't about to call my mom. Right. So despite the extreme despair you were feeling, it wasn't enough to get you to go back home. No, it wasn't. And so did you guys stay in Anaheim or did you find your way to another city? Um, in Southern California, they they're all kind of close together. So it probably, they all kind of bleed together. Anaheim, Fullerton, Santa Ana, Buena Park. They're all kind of sandwiched together. Where did you guys spend that first night? Well, that first night, when we're cold and scared and tired, we cook up a scheme to call the police and tell them that our parents abandoned us in Anaheim after a family vacation to Disneyland. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Why not? The idea here was that this was going to get a roof over your head. Exactly. Yeah. So you called the cops, right? They sent a, a cruiser around to pick you up? Yep, they sure did. We made up fake names. We made up a fake town we were from. I think it was Idaho. Uh, We made up that we were neighbors, that our parents drove here together. We went to Disneyland, and they left without us. We had fake everything, fake names, fake ages, fake parents. I am... Fake ages? uh, Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> I am, I, looking back, I am a thousand percent sure the police did not believe us. <laughs> <laughs> How old did you say you were? Like, you know, 25? <laughs> <laughs> I am like 100 pounds and five foot two at this point in my life. So I'm sure I looked 10 and not even 13. Do you remember your fake name? I do not. I do not. I, I, God, I wish I did. Yeah. Wow. And so, so what happened when the cops picked you up? So they take us to the police station. We kind of sit in a holding room for what felt like a few hours. And a social worker comes and gets us and says, we have a group home that you can stay in. Uh, would you like to go there until we figure out what to do with you? And we were like, heck yeah, we don't want to sleep outside. It's cold. <laughs> so we go to this group home. Uh, and by this time, it's the middle of the night. And the group home was a really interesting place. It was in a residential neighborhood. And it was all girls. And I think there was probably about eight girls in this in this house. What were they like? You know, I don't remember the other girls so much as I remember the revolving staff that came in and out. Like they work shifts and the staff were really young. Looking back, I swear they were probably like 19 or 20, the people running this group home. It had really strict rules. It was summertime and I remember not hating being there. I think looking back, I was desperate for stability and I was desperate for limits and I was desperate for someone to just help me have control of my surroundings. This group home kind of gave me that and I remember not hating it. How long were you allowed to stay there? A week. Did they did they kick you out during the day and then, you know, open back up at night or were you just able to stay there all day? We stayed there all day. It was like, here, live in this home, and here are the rules. Okay. And they gave you meals? Yep. Your first night after you got into this group home, things weren't looking so bad. No. It was weird. It was different. Yeah. But then you came to the end of that week, and what happened? They told us we had to leave. So we left. We just let two kids walk back out onto the streets. I, for the life of me, I cannot imagine that happening now. Yeah. I think the infrastructure probably wasn't as pro-kid as it is now. But in the 80s, if you're a runaway in Anaheim, California, and you were clearly under the age of 12 or 13, they just let you do your own thing, which blows my mind. When I think about that right now. It blows my mind too. So how did you think you were going to survive? You must have been, you know, desperately trying to come up with some plan. Well, you know, wild kids kind of have a way of finding each other, right? And runaways find other runaways. We find resources. We had a neighborhood, another neighborhood outside of the gang that uh, we had kind of befriended a couple people who lived in that neighborhood. And we kind of hung around them. A jack-in-the-box kind of became our home base. The jack-in-the-box staff would feed us when we were really hungry and hadn't eaten for a while. That's like a hamburger joint. 
yeah, it was like our home base. Strange. That's kind of like when you see homeless people now at, you know, the grocery store and there's like, they're always sitting at those tables, uh, the homeless people. It's always the same people. It's whenever I see them, like in my local Safeway, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, my Jack in the Box was that for us homeless kids. What happened next? You know, you're eating burgers at Jack in the Box. and <laughs> So how did you make do? Where did you sleep? Yeah, we slept. The things that I remember a lot about that experience of being actually living on the streets was sleeping and where to sleep and how to sleep. Boy, you know, when you live in a house that you don't, it's just a no brainer. You go in your room, right? Or you sleep on the couch. It's It really stuck with me, those memories of being cold and being scared and not being comfortable. You know, we, there was an abandoned car near the Jack in the Box that had sat there for for days and days and days. And we tried the locks and we realized that, you know, no one was coming back for this. So we slept in that car frequently. And it's cold. It was cold and it was uncomfortable. Especially as girls, you want to feel somewhat safe. So at least we could go in there and lock the doors. We slept. Oh, gosh. One time there was an apartment complex and we slept on the stairs um, of this apartment complex. And I remember, you know, it's summer, so it's, it's warm. I mean, it's still not comfortable to sleep outside when it's 55. But one of the tenants in the apartment had their window open all night long. And I heard him snoring. And I remember just kind of curling up in a ball on these stairs, uh, on the stair landing and listening to this, what I imagine was a dad snoring. And I remember it kind of comforted in me, you know, like it felt kind of homey. What an interesting memory. Yeah. And then somebody caught us and shooed us off and we had to go find somewhere else to sleep. But <laughs> was anybody looking for you? Your parents must have been, I mean, as neglectful as they were, I'm sure they knew you were missing. Probably. I can't imagine it was easy on my parents. It's not something they t talked about when I came back, and it's not something we talk about now. So I really don't know. I know where I had ran away to was within walking distance of home. No, I don't recall anyone ever coming to look for me. I have a really large extended family and nobody that I recall ever drove around looking for me, but I was just right there. When you were homeless on the streets, fending for yourself with S, was a part of you kind of wishing that your family would kind of show up and rescue you? Were you longing for that? No. You just wanted to be away. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get food on a daily basis? I guess you got it at the jack-in-the-box. Did you... I don't know. You you need things. You need to drink. You need to eat, right? Right. Uh, jack-in-the-box didn't provide all of your sustenance, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> did you beg? Did you do anything else? Yeah, we begged. Were drugs coming your way? We were a little bit on the young side. And so I think we weren't as immersed in the drug culture as like 
maybe older runaways would be. We begged, panhandled, we stole from stores necessities that we needed or even things we thought we needed, like cigarettes. <laughs> you know, I'm not proud of any of that. Of course not. That's what we did. Jack in the box, sometimes they would throw away perfectly good food and we would eat it out of the dumpster. Did you hook up with any other runaways? I did. It's interesting how, how we found each other. You know, you just do hanging out in those kind of places. And that's kind of how the story of my runaway time ended was we had met a girl who had had a really weird situation and she had stolen a car from an older man who she had ran away with, left him in a hotel, ran the car out of gas, uh, came to our little runaway neighborhood and was telling us the story. And she took the car keys and she threw them in the dumpster. And she's like, I don't want to have anything to do with this car because it's stolen. She stole it. And my runaway friend and I, S, we decided to fish those keys out of the dumpster, go find the vehicle, get some gas in it, and drive to Vegas. Why Vegas? I have no idea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this sounds like a pretty ill-informed plan. Find out just how ill-informed as we continue. Have you been feeling a little cooped up and maybe you need a change of pace at home? If you've been doing self-care and had enough of those bubble baths and glasses of Pinot Grigio, you need to try some new self-care that will help you relax or maybe even get you revved up. Dipsy is designed to get you in touch with yourself, something titillating added every week to this convenient audio app right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an audio app chock full of sexy stories, which are relatable and immersive. Let your mind drift where the story takes you and melt into each delicious tale. Dipsy just transports you to all new locations and takes your mind off the day-to-day -day shuffle. I'm a gal who likes variety, and there is something, no matter what I'm craving for the day, that I can sink right into. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com secret. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com secret. dipsystories.com secret. One thing leads to another as the three runaways execute their plan to get to Vegas and what ultimately becomes of our heroine and her friends in the final chapter. So you found the keys. How did you find the car? I think we must have eventually gotten that information out of her. Um, I remember it being a struggle to get the information out of her. I don't know if she didn't want to she just wanted the car to kind of sit abandoned and for her not to get implicated. I don't remember exactly why, but we found it in a residential neighborhood and it was ran out of gas. And being the bright young women that we were, we thought we could push it to a gas station. And <laughs> okay. we get, I know, so, like looking back, I'm like, what were we actually thinking? <laughs> is, is that what you actually did? 
It's what we attempted to do. Okay. So we get to the car. It indeed is out of gas. So it's in a residential neighborhood. But it's Southern California. There's a gas station right around the corner. So we're like, let's just push it. Maybe someone will take pity on us and come and help us and we'll get some gas in it. In the process of doing that, a car pulls over and a man gets out and he says, can I help you? What's happened to your car? And we're like, well, we ran out of gas. And he says, hold on, let me help you. And he goes to his car and then he comes back and he says, well, I ran the plates on that car and it's stolen. And Oh, gosh. <laughs> He's like, I'm actually an undercover police officer. <laughs> we're like, wow, isn't this great luck? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, okay. So, were you kind of happy at this point? No, I was terrified. You were terrified. Okay. I was terrified. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> So what'd he do? Would he throw you in the back of his, you know, undercover police cruiser and, you know, take you down to juvie? I've thought about it and I wonder why I didn't run. I think maybe because we could have totally outran this guy. But I remember him being really authoritarian and I remember being afraid of him. And something in me just said, oh, fine, I give up. You know what I mean? I was scared. Tired, scared, cold. Yes, So he calls in a couple of officers, you know, a couple of squad cars, and they arrest us and take us to juvenile hall or actually, I think it was like the regular jail, you know, they take us there first and take down our stories. And, you know, we tell them the truth, like, okay, you know, including the names of your parents. Yeah, we we even we didn't make fake names this time. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) you just had enough. I think so. <laughs> How much time it had passed, you know, at this point? How long have you been on the street? Oh, it was so long ago. I think it was somewhere between five, six, eight weeks around in there. It's a long time. Yeah. Defending for yourself in the streets of Anaheim. Gosh. So they they take your statements and you're totally truthful. So, gosh, what happens? They put us in juvenile hall. I spent a week there. It was a really weird experience. There was a lot of troubled kids there. There's a lot of control there. I did not like juvenile hall the same way that I appreciated the group home. It was lonely and cold and scary. And I mean, I was in a cell. Like... A locked room at night in this little tiny cot. You have to ask to do anything. Blow your nose. Go to the bathroom. It's it was it was scary. Did you have a bunk mate? Or? No, I was all alone in my room. There were some scary kids there. You know, there was there were some kids there for really violent offenses. So, I mean, the story that I'm telling is. It, it sort of makes it sound like it wouldn't be hard to think that maybe I had uh, like a mental illness or a personality disorder to do such wild things. But I really, I don't have any of those things. I was just a lost kid with some lack of parenting and probably a little bit of an adventurous spirit. So 
when I get stuck in juvenile hall with some actually dangerous people, I remember a girl had said to me, this will not be your last time in here. Everybody comes back. I remember in my head, I said, hell no, that will not be me. That really resonated with you. It did. And I never did go back to jail or juvenile hall or anything. (laughs) How long did it take for your parents to come pick you up? My father came and picked me up about a week later. Okay, because they're divorced at this point. Yes. Right. Okay, so your father came to get you after a week. Why did he wait a week? Did you have a mandatory sentence there? I actually have no idea. I was thinking about that. Uh, I don't know if my parents were punishing me or if the system was just taking that long to process me. I have no idea. So how did you feel when you saw him at the desk waiting for you? You know, I didn't have a great relationship with either one of my parents, but I remember my dad not being mad at me and actually saying, you're a victim of circumstance. Gosh. I don't really know what that meant. I still don't really know what he meant by that, but I remember that he wasn't mad and he wasn't angry. I think they were probably relieved, honestly. I would hope so. Were you relieved when you saw him? Were you just like, thank God, this nightmare is over now. Maybe I'm not going somewhere great, but it's better than this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think that's exactly what I felt. (laughs) Okay. So was there like a hug and tears? No, I don't. Or just like, you're a victim of circumstance, kid. Get in the back. Let's go. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it was kind of <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. it, was, it was more like that. <laughs> okay, so he takes you to his house. Probably the first thing you do is like take a shower and get some rest, right? Yeah, yeah. It was It was good to be free. It's, I can't even tell you like how stifling it is to feel like you can't, you can't yell. You can't, you can't have free movement. It's, it's a bizarre feeling if you've never been incarcerated. Once you are, it's something that sticks with you. And so what happened to your friend S? Was she still in juvie too? I actually lost all contact. When I went to live with my dad, it was in a totally different part of California more towards San Bernardino, which is way more south uh, than Orange County. And, you know, this is in the 80s. We don't have cell phones. We don't have the Internet. So I completely lost touch with her and all of my friends. Um, Yeah, to this day, I don't even know whatever happened to her. Boy, I bet you'd like to get in touch, wouldn't you? I would. I know her whole name, too. And sometimes I stalk the name on Facebook or Instagram and the Internet just trying to see if I can ever find her, you know. No luck. No luck. I wonder if you if you could get any records from the juvie hall with her name and the year and the date. You know all that? Oh, my God. I never, ever thought of that. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's make a call right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's a whole different podcast, Ben. <laughs> right. Uh, follow up. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the records even go back that far. (laughs) I mean, there's only one way to find out, right? Right. I might actually try that. I think think it would be kind of healing to reconnect with her. 
I don't know how she would feel, but it would make me feel good. Well, I hope she would be just amazed. I hope she's doing well. Me too. So now you're living at your at your father's house. Was there more structure there than you had at your mom's? And did he get custody of you? How How did all that work out? So my family being as weird as can be, my mom moves in with my dad and I. Oh, they reconcile? Not really. They have separate bedrooms. They're not reconciling. I think they do it to kind of give me some stability. Though nobody is verbalizing any of this to me, in hindsight, I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Um, And I think we spend a few months there with my dad. And it was my grandma's house. Uh, She had passed away, though. But it was like a familiar space for all of us. And it was hard recovering from that wild summer I had, you know? The summer of 82. Oh, yeah. I remember going through some depression at that age. It was probably the most depressed I had ever been in my entire life was during that a transition from being so wild and crazy to being back under a roof with both parents. And if my father was way more of a disciplinarian and way less lenient than my mom was, it gave me structure. And I think I had needed that desperately. You said you had how many siblings? I'm six out of seven. So you have six siblings. What's happening with all of them? You know, how were their lives? They were basically growing up in the same environment. They were all older than me. My oldest sibling, I think, is like 12 years older than me. And other than my sister, who is two and a half years younger than me, the closest sibling in age is seven years from me. So all of this happened to me this wild streak and this, you know, destabilization from my parents' divorce and all the movings we went through happened to just me and my sister and my mom. So it was kind of like we were our own little family. They had like a totally different childhood. They had a totally different experience than I did. How much older was your sister? I have one sister who's seven years older. And then I have my disabled sister who's two and a half years younger. So what did they think when you came home? I don't remember anybody saying anything. You know, they didn't live with us at the time. They all were out on their own. Some of them were married. Some of them had their own kids. So it's not exactly like a giant homecoming (laughs) celebration, but at, at least you were getting better structure. Your parents were, you know, trying to provide a better environment for you at least. And Yes. What happened to you next? Did you, you know, did you just kind of settle into a good childhood after that and go to high school and college or, you know, what was next for Emma? <sighs> no, my mom still did not provide very much structure for me. One time I counted and I've been to like 14 or 15 different schools till I dropped out at the beginning of 10th grade. I still was not provided very much structure or discipline or much intention in parenting toward me. Uh, So it was rough and I did drop out. And uh, I think it kind of formed for me to be a very independent person. But, you know, I'm 49. I raised two amazing children. I have twins who are 25 and I have two grandkids and we all live in the same town. I have an amazing life and I have a nice little corporate job where people would know nothing about these kind of stories. 
(laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I did eventually grow up and make good decisions and never went back to juvenile hall. (laughs) Never, (laughs) you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And you never had to go there to pick up your kids. No, my kids are (laughs) angels compared to me as a kid. Oh, my God. They, They were like the perfect teenagers compared to me. Like, they were amazing. That's great. So the cycle did not repeat. Absolutely not. And so in your corporate job today, can you tell me what kind of work you do? Just curious. You can keep it private if you want to. Yeah, I have worked in uh, the insurance industry for a really long time. I really sometimes, when I'm buckled down in that corporate environment, and I think about how incredibly crazy my childhood was. I feel like a lot of the people around me probably couldn't relate because I live in a kind of a smaller community in Oregon. It's not very diverse here and it's pretty upper middle class. And sometimes I feel like I've overcome a lot in my life. I'll say, (laughs) I think you could pretty much feel that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And so what do you think would happen if you told somebody at work or one of your friends about this amazing backstory that you have? You keep the story secret for a reason. I just wonder what you fear the reaction would be if you told people. I think I carried a lot of shame for a really long time about the kind of kid I was, like just so crazy and wild. And I think the older I get, the more I realize I was just a lost kid and I can go back and kind of parent her a little bit and and understand her a little bit. It's like, that's work people. I don't really want them to know me. <laughs> yeah, it's your story. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your relationship with your parents like today? Uh, my father passed away when I was 17. My mom and I, I think it never stops hurting that your parents aren't what you need, but you get to a place where you put up boundaries so you understand that, so you don't get hurt over and over again. So I kind of think that's what my relationship is like with my mom. We can get along really good about really shallow topics. As an adult, I have never lived in the same town or city as her. We've always lived thousands of miles away from each other, and I think that helps. Does your boyfriend know about any of this? He knows some of it, yeah. Did you ever tell the man that you were married to this story? He had stories that rivaled my own. <laughs> so it was like, it'd be like, oh yeah, you did that. Well, let me tell you about this. <laughs> You've told your daughters parts of this story. <laughs> yep. But not the whole story. No. No one's ever asked. What, what have you told them? Like, what's the extent of the story that you've shared with your daughters? You just tell bits and pieces over the years, like, oh, yeah, I was a bad kid, or I ran away when I was a kid, or... You don't talk about the drive-by shootings and the stabbings and the... No. And the El Camino. (laughs) (laughs) No. The bullet-riddled El Camino. Ben, the El Camino is our secret. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll keep that one between us. (laughs) Oh, my God. Do you think you'll ever sit them down and say, I want you guys to know a little bit more about mom? Maybe I'll let them listen to this podcast. I don't know. 
Well, Em, I want to thank you so much for just bearing all and telling us about this amazing story. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. In spite of the trials and tribulations Maria faced, the apex of her story is of her own making. A former street urchin, she emerged a phoenix from the ashes of her turbulent childhood. The memories she carries, those of drive-by shootings, gang fights, a shot-up El Camino, and free jack-in-the-box burgers, stand in stark contrast to La Casper's adult life, which is surprisingly conventional, and no one knows her past. Maybe it's better that way. Maria didn't have a picture of the El Camino, but you can see the very jack-in-the-box at which she and S sought refuge and ate free burgers. Also, a picture of Maria today, her face obscured, and she marked up a map of Anaheim to show you her gang's territory. These amazing pictures are yours to view and enjoy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at SecretRoomPod. Susie Lark is your host for our companion podcast, The Secret Room Unlocked. On the next episode, I'll have behind-the-scenes moments from Maria's story and a post-interview. I also have extra images Maria shared. And if you'd like to join me with your thoughts on the show, call a recorded line now on 929-265-TSRP. The Secret Room Unlocked, a bonus edition of the podcast, is available exclusively at patreon.com when you support. Credits for today's episode. Producer Susie Lark and shadow producer Kim Lewis. Chet is a sound engineer, and our music and theme are by Breakmaster Cylinder. Do you have a mysterious secret to share? Send it to me through our website, secretroompod.com. And when you're there, check out the code section for all our sponsors' codes and their offers. This podcast comes to you every other Tuesday night on a direct line from Washington, D.C. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to great podcasts. This is a secret room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. Stay safe, people. Pot on, Ben. That's my favorite part. <laughs> Pot on, La Casper. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It's such a stupid thing to remember so vividly is that El Camino.